This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Questions podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Ryan Gilbert here at the Go PowerCat home office and dog spa. They're everywhere. I think they're mutating and multiplying. Man, what a week for the Big 12 in basketball. Mm, mm, mm. So dominant. So dominant. On Friday and Saturday, they were. Man, just uh, that this tournament is total chaos, and I love it. I love it. Speaking of total chaos, Gene Taylor with the contract extension as we get rolling. Right, I just dive right in. Dive right in. Happened right before we started recording, so there's no questions about it. Very interesting. And like I told you guys, and I'll say this publicly: is I take this to mean General Myers is retiring. That's this is a typical university thing. Here's a contract. There's a contract. I mean, Gene needed to be extended or something. He was entering his final year, and you know it helps with uh, recruiting. I don't definitely. Know. I don't know. You know, like recruiting fundraisers and social media people. You know, heaven forbid that uh, you know an AD or a coach actually has to face the end of a contract like a normal freaking human being. Actually, us normal human beings don't have contracts. We, we just live paycheck to paycheck. But anyhow, uh, he gets about a cool million to BAD through 2027, which I imagine is kind of his retirement year. Hmm. I really don't have opinions on it. I mean, I know people are worked up, but got to have an AD. Yeah. But. And even, like you said, you, you know, General Myers might be retiring. Well, I, he could do anything. It doesn't matter what he does. And I would say that I would, I'm pretty confident that he's going to be retiring soon, you know? He doesn't want to be working. Yeah. He's, what, 79, 80? I don't know how old he is. He was supposed to be like a one and done. University president. But the Board of Regents sucks so bad they can't make good hires. You had a hit reset at both Wichita State and then KU recently. They're just got a mess. I'll do it. I'll be president. I got a undergraduate degree in PR. <sighs> Gills, you'd be a good university president. Thank you. You're job hunting. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you just put in an application? You never know. The Board of Regents is high. They yeah. might hire you. Yeah. Go for it. I mean, you know, just directly hands on. Child prodigy. Speaking of prodigies. If you need the best in alcohol sales, <laughs> stop by the fridge right here in town and make sure you head out to Tanner's. We're wearing out our welcome at Tanner's during the NCAA tournament and uh, the high-low. It's kind of funny. I, I've, 
attempted to return to Aggieville, and I've only really been to one bar because it's basketball. And our, me, me and Cole invited you out, and you didn't want to come out to the other bars. Well, what day was that? Was that like at one thirty in the morning or something, that text or well, something? Well, that was, yeah, I guess. I've done it a few times. I don't know if you remember every time I've said it, but. I, um, I'm usually in bed. Mm-hmm. Usually, see, when I respond to you, this is a, this is an old man secret here. When I respond to you from one of your texts from Aggieville uh, at 1, 1.30 in the morning, it's usually because I had to get up and pee, uh, and I checked gotcha. the phone. I thought you were still drinking. Okay, my bad. No, no, never. Not me. Probably on my way to church. How are our questions this week, Zach? They're okay. Well, that was resounding. Well, I mean, they're fine. I don't know. What do you want? What I don't do you know. Want me to say? They're really good. They sell it to you. Um, and we're going to do an overtime right after yeah. we record this. We'll have an overtime for Friday because I know you people have an empty spot in your soul that needs to be filled with stupidity. And that's what we do with the overtime. Let's just get going. Who's got the questions first? I'll read the first half. Here we go. Here's Zach. From as Joe. So is losing this walk-on, Joe Petrakis, a big deal, or is it because this gets Bruce to something like 20 transfers in three years? <laughs> Either way, this can't be normal and can't simply be blamed on COVID, or am I overreacting? You're overreacting on this one. I mean, uh, this is what's interesting about it to me, is he's a walk-on who got a one-semester scholarship, but... I think he enjoyed being on scholarship, so now he wants to go somewhere else and be on scholarship because he was going to go back to being a walk-on unless they didn't fill their scholarships. I mean, that's a given. But what what strikes me is the only reason he was probably extended an offer, well, two reasons. One, he's tall. But two, he is a lifelong K-State fan and always wanted to play here, and he just was a perfect guy to come in as a walk-on. He's the guy that every program has that all I've wanted to do is play basketball at this university and you know, I'll walk on to do it. So um, him departing does set off a few alarm bells. I, You know, I think the thing about him, Gills, I want your opinion on this, is, is I felt like when he did get chances to play, he held up his end of the bargain. I think he legitimately has a reason to be a little upset that he didn't get some minutes. You know, when they got into foul trouble or something, they didn't put him out on the court. He, they only started to play him in late game situations when it was kind of decided. I, I think he earned a spot. I'm not talking ten minutes, but you know, three minutes in relief at the end of a half, the first half, to try to get you to halftime without a third foul on a big man. I don't know. There's no reason he shouldn't have been in an Austin Budkey type situation playing. I'd say he could play at least ten minutes in the Big Twelve. I mean, <laughs> the limited times we saw him, um, you know, he outcourt, outscored Cade Cunningham and. He looked pretty good. So my theory is he wants to play and and actually play. So I think he'll get up a good mid-major, not a good mid-major, but, you know, your Bradleys or your Drakes or Omaha's, whatever. So I think he'll get a good chance, and he wants to play. I'm not alarmed by this one at all. Obviously, the whole Dejuan stuff and Antonio for sure, but I'm okay with Joe leaving. I think he's going to have success where he ends up. And with how bad K-State was this year, why not throw Joe out on the floor? Why not? You know, (laughs) he should have been playing regardless of – perceived skill level or scholarship level whatever he was brought in to do it's clear that the other people in front of him weren't doing what they were brought in to do why not go with another option yeah the only thing that alarms me about it is he's a kid that was willing to walk on so he could be k-state and then 
He got a little taste of it, and he's departing. I don't know if he'll end up in the valley or the summit or or maybe as low as, you know, I don't mean low, but maybe he steps down to Division Two and plays at Washburn or something like that. I mean, we just saw a Manhattan kid named the, the top defensive player or player of the year. Player of the year. In D2. Division Two. Yeah. Yep. So... I mean, you just got to find your spot and make the most of it. That's true about everything in life. I I wish him luck. He he was a good kid. That was a fun interview when we had him on the post game. He was peeing himself. He was (laughs) so happy. It was just so surreal to him. It's like I've never never met someone, interviewed someone so happy to have me interview them. It's like, really? It's really not that big a deal. It's after a loss, too. He was very happy. But he shut down the best player in the country. (laughs) Yep. Maybe not shut down. Outperformed. It's a factual statement, right, yep. Zach? Yep. From Herdez Joe, why is the university footing the bill for recruiting when players don't stay? Outside of 2020, who is still here from the previous three recruiting classes? That's crazy, man. Mike? Mike McGirl coming back. Does he even count, though? Yeah. It was so long ago. It's crazy. The The constant churning through players is just absolutely amazing. Um and it looks like they're into the transfer portal quite a bit. They're going to have to have some luck. It's really competitive out there, particularly for what they want, which is a scoring guard. Great opportunity to come in, though. I mean, it's a great opportunity. You're going to be able to step in and um, start. Now with Dejuan gone, it clears a spot. I don't know. I'd, and, and plus, on top of that, I mean, if you're looking at from the coach's perspective, if you can get you know two or three guys that are – they're going to be one and done fifth year seniors or whatever. Uh, I mean, now you buy yourself another year for recruiting. Like you can start working on the 23 kids and, and ramp it up. It's so late to get quality players for 22. I mean, or 21, what are we? 21, 20, 20. right now. Yeah. yeah it's 21. Yeah. 21. So you can maybe start looking forward to 22 for the class. I get so confused. I don't even know what year it is. The pandemic just stole like a, my whole world went on pause. I can't deal with this. So, yeah, man, you know, maybe then invest time in future guys instead of trying to scramble. Just use the the portal right now. I mean, hell, bring guys in the portal. And if they leave, uh, they leave because that's the same thing that's happening with your recruits. It's just incredible the amount of overturn. You just got to hang on to these freshmen. At the, it's kind of your, your Waterloo at this point. You got to make a stand at your Alamo. You got to just... You can't let it. You can't lose this freshman class. Next question is from Salt Hawk Cat. Do you think the longer we go without any news from our basketball program indicates that Bruce will be back? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you know, if you you go back to the original rumors, it was about retirement, and I don't think any of those rumors said tomorrow. You know, so I don't know. I, but they are recruiting. So I mean, they're they're proceeding as if they're coming back. And um, I'm going to say that all that talk's still out there, but at this point, you don't know if it's legitimate talk or coaches being gossips out there, because it's still making the rounds through coaching circles. So um, I think he intends on coming back. Uh, we'll we'll see what what all takes place, but what we are focusing on. Gills had a story up about UMKC Kansas City player. Man, I'm not used to that. Yeah. It's UMKC. It still is UMKC. It still is. Uh, the Kansas City player. What's his name? I told his Brandon McKissick. McKissick. Because I misspelled it when I Google searched. Mm-hmm. Um, he played pretty good here. 
Yeah, I mean, he's good. He averaged almost 20 points a game. Mm-hmm. And plus, he was the defensive player of the year in the conference. So that's that's exactly what Bruce saw. I mean, you know, that's that's the home run right there. Oh, I get a, a scorer who does defend. I mean... I mean, everyone wants that, but if you're Bruce Weber, that's that's like hitting the lottery. So we'll see what that does. But they're they're working it hard, and we've got Gills locked in on recruiting to continue to cover that. Yeah, until we see either a let up on the recruiting front or an announcement. I mean, I think it's you know, I think it's it's time to just cons- no can think that he's going to come back at this point. But you know, as you know, a timeline I posted on Wabash in a certain scenario that was still going to be a long time if that one was going to happen. You know, there's I still think that with retirement, you know, it's not a firing, it's not imminent. You know, if he moves to another role, whatever it is, you know, it could be a little while. But as they've indicated on the recruiting trail, that they're still getting after it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but why would they let him go anytime before May first? If there was just some kind of timing to it, I mean, you know, okay, like if if they knew who they wanted and they needed to move, uh, but I don't, you know, I mean, if it's really retirement, it could happen June first. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and if you're Bruce, you might try to manipulate the system so that you can retire and try to get Chris Lowry the job, which I don't think there's any way that would actually happen, but you, that might be in your motivation. I mean, look at Wake Forest last year. Didn't they fire Danny Manning after May 1? I mean, there's, oddly enough, the timeline seems to have shifted to allow. And they landed a great candidate. Right. They got a good coach. So, you know, I don't think that there's any, I don't think it's unreasonable anymore to think that May could come and you can switch coaches pretty easily. You know, especially after a pandemic year like this. I think that anything could be on the table, but... As we've seen, as long as they're still hitting the recruiting trail, I would count on them being back. I'm going to add another layer into this uh, rumor mill. There has been talk that Chris Lowry is looking maybe to get a head coaching position. He was really good at Southern Illinois. Fizzled out on him. I mean, as I've always said, he's the perfect example of a young coach who needs to hop when you're you're the hot guy. You need to move on because he, he... stayed for another contract and it fizzled on him um so there's talk about maybe him trying to get a head coaching job and if that happens it becomes very intriguing with bruce weber because they're kind of connected at the hip well we'll see and uh i mean some of the movement out there might create a gap behind a person that that chris might be able to fill from Herdez Joe, does the Big 12's performance as a whole in the tournament affect how we should evaluate what Bruce did with the program this year? Is now the time to move on in men's basketball? And at what point can the problem no longer solve itself? What do you think about how the Big 12 performed, Gills? It's tough, man. I mean, it's tough. You can't deny what the Pac-12 has done against the Big 10 and the Big 12. So It's crazy. I, I don't think anyone has a rational explanation for it because the Pac-12 has been so bad. Mm-hmm. They get better in a year, or it doesn't make sense to me. Folks, this isn't just the Big 12. The Big 10 was, everyone considered that the best conference, and it's fallen apart. I mean, they're down to Michigan. So, I mean, you got the Sweet 16 where the two best conferences as perceived in the world of basketball have one each. Uh, It's incredible. I, I do agree with some of the premise of this question that, Maybe 
the competition wasn't quite as good as we all thought. And I started to suspect that. I've been saying that for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. that I wasn't blown away by the by the level of hoops being played in the Big 12. I thought the teams didn't look quite as sharp. But it wasn't brilliant because I was comparing them to the Big 10 where I thought the teams were better. And so, I mean, that ended up being bad. Never once in my line of thinking day. I should probably look at the Pac-12. Maybe that's the best conference. Not once would I have ever thought that. It's crazy what is taking place in this postseason, but it's very fitting of the year that we've been going through. I'll ask the next question before making my point. Last question on the podcast from El Camino Cat. Uh, the podcast? The half. The half. What are you doing here, man? Are you I'm just sorry. trying to get, rid, get I, rid of us? I didn't mean to push the fast forward button there. Oh, I'm boy. so sorry. <laughs> Last question the first half from El Camino Cat. Were the Big 12 and Big 10 overrated or were their struggles in the tournament just a fluke of a single elimination tournament? What do you think? I think it's you can chalk it up to a single elimination tournament. Because, I mean, if you if you turn the tournament into best two of three series on each level, I think that the Big Ten and the Big 12 prevail. Right. I think that with the single elimination, just the way that the tournament's built with upsets and, and everything like that, I think that if you played series, which I'm not advocating for, the tournament's fine the way it is. But right. I don't think that a single elimination tournament is the best way to determine who your champion who the best team is you know they were the champion they were the best team in in that vacuum you know the hand that they were dealt but i don't think that a single elimination tournament necessarily means that you were the best team that year what's interesting about this for me is um you can look at some of these teams in these two conferences and say okay they want would have won two out of three i mean I, I would say that confidently about Illinois against Loyola. I mean, Porter Mosier, Porter Mosier is a a great single game coach. Like apparently, the tournament really fits him. He can get his team ready to exploit the weaknesses of the other team to the point where they don't have enough time to adjust. But I would take Illinois if they played twice more. I mean, I just would. But after watching. What Oregon did to Iowa as a lower seed and what USC did to Kansas as a lower seed, I wouldn't make that same bet. I would take the the Pac-12 team both times. I just I was fascinated by how athletic and long and just, I mean, it isn't really good basketball. It's effective basketball. Let's kind of get up and down the court and turn it into an athletic contest, USC just absolutely clowned Kansas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a complete mismatch. And now, if you look at that, maybe you have the formula if you're a Kansas State or um, who else, Iowa State, how you should construct your team to be effective in this conference. And you know who that is? That's getting guys like Surrey Lewis and, and trying to develop them. Long, athletic, hyper-athletic to go with, you know, more of a pure approach to basketball, the the Porter-Mosier approach, which is you're the shooter, you're the rebounder, you do this, you do that. I mean, it's a real Jack Hartman style. Everyone's got to defend. We defend as a team, and we all have our roles on offense. I mean, that's the other end of that. 
It's like the Big 12 somewhere stuck in between where they're trying to be athletic but not athletic enough to be at the highest level. Maybe Baylor is. And you're not pure enough as a basketball program. I mean, that's kind of what's gotten tech by, but they don't look that way anymore. I don't think the Big 12 as a brand is playing real pure basketball. That's honestly, it's more Big 10. I mean, Iowa's kind of built that way. They're not really athletic, but they play pure basketball. So somewhere in there, you got to pick your battle. You can't be one. You can't be somewhere in between, I guess, is what we're learning in this this world. And it's all about matchups. Every tournament's the same. Who did, who'd you pull? That's a horrible matchup. You're going to lose. Oh, the 16th seed beat the one. Now you get to play the 16th seed. Oh, you, you pulled Creighton in the first round, a team that you have obvious motivation to beat. I mean, so much of it is about who you pull, when you pull them, yeah. and uh, you know, survive in advance. It's cliche, but it's so true. Loyola was criminally underseeded. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Like they should have been a, at least a five, if not higher. But were they like ranked nine in Ken Palm? Seven, I thought. Okay. And like number one defense. Yeah. Like they're one of the best teams in the tournament. And it's not unreasonable to to think what they did. I mean, it's unfortunate they did it to Illinois, but when you look at the stats, not really unreasonable. They should have been ranked higher. We we continue to misapply what conference you're in to how good you are. Because if you now I'm talking about tournament format. If if you plop Abilene Christian down in the middle of the Big 12, they're just going to get destroyed over the course of a season. But you put them on the court with Texas, and you've got good players who are confident, know how to win, play together, they're going to get you. I mean, they got a guy, there's they got a starter who kind of looks like me. I mean, he, 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 he doesn't look like an athlete at all. He's got the belly, he kind of runs up and down and does his thing, and but they make it work, and they can make it work for one game at a time. Now, I do think we we tend to look at schools like the Missouri Valley and just say, well, probably eight seeds the best they can do, right? When that was wrong. We, Drake was the last team in. They beat Wichita State. I mean, Drake was pretty good. We saw Drake. How, much, how are Bruce scheduling that opening tournament? We're going to have bring in Drake in Colorado. Those are teams we can play with, and they both turned out to be really good. Really good this season. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm disappointed for the, the Big 12, but getting back to some of the premises of these questions, I think it shows that maybe the pathway to the upper half of this conference isn't as daunting as we once thought, and that the biggest obstacle to that has been mental. That when they step on the floor with Kansas, they feel like they can't compete. Somebody forgot to tell USC the same thing. We'll be back after the break with more of your questions from Wabash Station. The PowerCat Podcast will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. We now send it back to the PowerCat Podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat Questions Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Ryan Gilbert. We're ushering you through the questions, the questions from Wabash Station as my dogs hang out in the office. Just a, it, the pandemic has changed things. I was talking with a Bob Lutz who does radio out of Wichita and now he's still doing it from home and his dog was barking in the background and, uh, I told him, well, I'm thankful that today it wasn't my dogs barking. And he goes, you know, before the pandemic, I would judge people for those kind of things. That it was clearly they're working from home. And now we just all accept it. Like I see someone on like Fox or CNN or, you know, being interviewed. And they're clearly just on their iPhone with their AirPods in. And, you know, they're they're just winging it. And you know, before they'd have to get the satellite truck over to the house and have someone beam it up. And now it's like, ah, we'll just zoom it. We'll just we'll just connect you digitally. It's fine. Oh, we're sponsored by the fridge. You can connect digitally with them via their new app. I got an alert about a sale the other day. That was nice. Stop into the fridge whenever you're in Manhattan. Make sure you get down to Aggieville and support your local businesses like Tanners and the High Low, sponsors of our segments. Please support local businesses. We've weathered the storm fairly well through the pandemic. But these are important times now for for all those businesses. Just come on into Manhattan and say hi to everyone. Manhattan's back in business. Aggieville's opened back up. Sure, you got to wear a mask when you're not eating or drinking, but it's back to business. <clears throat> kind of fun. Here we go. More of your questions from Wabash Station. Zach? Here's Gills, right? Here's Gills. First question of the second half from Ohio Power Cat. We have a lot of depth at quarterback this year. How do you keep them all engaged in the offense so we don't end up losing someone to the transfer portal? Oh, they will. That, I mean, yeah. Excuse us? Daphne thinks so, too. Yeah. They will. Someone will transfer. Um, I mean, it's just the way the world works nowadays, uh, I would imagine. But yeah, you stop and think about it. Skyler's, this is it. I mean, even if he's hurt again, this is it. <clears throat> um, will Howard will be his backup, and we'll probably come in a little bit more than normal. Yeah, I think they've talked about that, trying to design some things just for him. Jake Rubley wants to redshirt, but he can still play the four games. So right. if the team, it's really up to the team. Be efficient enough and get open to the lead so you can put in the backups. I mean, John Lewis is, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> John Lewis is the one that I, I'm kind of curious about. How long is he going to put up with this? And shouldn't they try to get another role for him at some point that – um, would incorporate him in other ways. But if if Rubley really is redshirting, you need him to be your third string. you got to have a third guy. So okay. it's just the reality of it. It is unprecedented depth. But we know through the history of recent college football that when you get this kind of depth, it means someone will leave. And Mess kind of alluded to it last week about running a sort of wildcat package yeah. with somebody, you know. So 
I think that they're going to need to figure out a way to get as much participation from the, the, the guys as possible. But like you said, Fitz, you, you, you can count them up on your fingers. There's too many quarterbacks for, for three spots realistically. So somebody's probably going to leave or somebody needs to switch positions. Yep. And whether it's, you know, wide receiver or, you know, going to the defense, I don't really know, but you know, they did it with Ryan Hennington. They moved him to everywhere. He's a Swiss army knife. Basically. I, I, I don't understand this. So they move him from quarterback to safety, which is a natural evolution for a quarterback. Because as a safety, you need to understand what the offense is doing. Yada, yada, yada. Now they've moved him up to linebacker, which if you've ever seen Ryan Hennington, you'd be like, what? But he's at 210, which is what now Big 12 linebackers tend to be. And they, Klanderman was just raving about him. We'll get into that. Yeah. But I, think, I think all coaches are the same. The guy who does it right is going to get lots of attention in the spring. Yeah. From I Like Pickles Cat, good call fits on asking how the offense looks. Is it good or bad that Klanderman seemed <clears throat> excuse me, so enthused about what he was seeing against the offense? I loved his answer. If you ask me, they're turning the ball over and taking a lot of sacks. And <clears throat> it's great. Yeah, it, um, I don't know. I'll be honest. I was just kind of struggling for something to ask. I don't know if it was a, <laughs> a brilliant question. I just was trying to participate. But uh, I love Klanderman. I, I hope he gets him going. And I like this approach he's taking with stripping it down even further and just focusing on tackling. I was texting with a buddy. I mean, you can make defense complex. But basically, the three components to be a good defensive team is get your team lined up right, you know, have all the gaps accounted for, win more battles and man-to-man, you know, whether you're a lineman or anyone, win your battle with the guy you're matched up with, and then do a good job tackling. You know, I mean, if you do those three things, if you line up right, you win your one-on-one battles more than you lose, and you're sound in tackling, you will be a good defense. And, you know, sure, calling the right blitz or the right scheme, that can help. But it can also get you out of alignment, get you out of winning the battle with the guy in front of you, and, you know, whatever your offense wants to do, put you in space, make it try to tackle in open areas instead of in a box, and that's much more challenging. Was it that West Virginia game where K-State missed like a dozen tackles? I look at tackles as errors. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, in baseball, you can't give the other team more than three outs. You have an error, four outs, five outs. And that's what a missed tackle is to me. I mean, when you, when you have a glaring missed tackle that should be no gain or even a loss, and it goes for 15 in the first down, that alone can be game-changing. Just like dropping a, a fly ball with two outs. You can totally change the complexion of the, the entire game because you didn't get them out or offense off the field when you had the opportunity right in front of you. Another question from I Like Pickles. Cat Klanerman seems so positive. Is there any good way to tell what is true and what is sunshine pumping? No. Not, I mean, without us being able to see practices, no. <clears throat> or really, you know, get Joe at Tanner's with four beards in him. <laughs> He'd still probably sunshine pump. Because you love your guys, you know? Uh, I mean, it, yeah. it's it's like these are my guys. I'm going to battle with them. Uh, I, I'm going to try to get them ready, but you got to have trust and belief in them. 
So, yeah. I No, he's a really positive guy. Um, and so was Hazleton, though. I mean, Scotty looked like a, you know, a guy you didn't want to meet in the woods. But you shaved that beard off of him. He was a sweet, nice guy. I feel like you would want to meet him in the woods due to the beard. He knows what he's doing yeah, in the woods. that's true. That's true. I don't know. I, Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he is a very positive guy, and it is hard to read through that. And as you're around a coach for extended periods of time, and, you know, this is only the third year with Clanham and really the second year with um, him as a D coordinator, and the first year hardly counts because we weren't really around him, you start to read the clues and the hints. And they get comfortable with you, and they'll say, yeah, we've got a second linebacker. You know, they'll give you a little something there that, that will help you get some better context. So um, I'm looking forward to getting back in front of coaches because you can start building relationships better. Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily that he's saying anything untrue. I just think he's very positive on what what he's seeing, I guess. And I'm sure there's there's plenty of stuff that he's not going to talk about, but, you know, the stuff that he's willing to at least share, you know, that's going to be truthful. So it just probably seems like sunshine pumping because that's the best stuff he sees. So that's what he wants to talk about. Next question from KNED. Is it just me or is a big difference between the Kleiman era versus the Snyder era that they talk up every player? Snyder mentioning a name was a huge deal. If genuinely true, we are in for a good year, but could set the table for extra frustration. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just a little bit different styles there. I feel like with Snyder, you'd he'd name a name that either you hadn't talked about or you weren't expecting. Like there's little nuggets, I guess, from Snyder here. But a lot of times they were useless. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was, true. he was clearly doing the trick. <laughs> I'm going to mention this guy cause he shows up on time. He's always at every meeting in the front row. He uh, always has his shirt tucked in properly. And, uh, he's a good kid and he's never late for weights, even though he lifts, you know, benches 123 pounds. Um, and I'm going to talk him up because he, he sets an example. Kenneth, I think what that's Kenneth that asked her, right? Yeah. Yep. I think what you're getting here is you knew how to read Snyder's clues. We all did. You know, it wasn't just the media, but eventually all the fans were like, oh, okay, I know what you're saying here, coach. And now you're, you're in uncharted territory because every coach has their own way of going about things. And you'll start to pick up on things with climbing as we advance to. But in defense of climbing, you know, Bill made himself very public in the fact that he learned how to read his clues because we would be on our third Snyder press conference. Kleiman's like, I'll do the first one. Okay, Mass, you got the second one. Klanderman, you got the third one. Players, you got this one. We got assistant coaches on Thursday. Um, uh, Van Malone will be next week. Some more players, more coaches or whatever. And then Kleiman will do the last one. You know, he kind of spreads it around so you, you don't quite get as familiar with everything. You don't pick up the, the string of clues from one press conference to another that they might be having problems at certain positions. Yeah, but it's nice hearing from the rest of the staff, though. That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, Your context and texture of your coverage is so much better when you get assistant coaches and coordinators and a variety of players. It just really helps. It's a better experience for the fans, and thus it's better for us doing our job because it's more enjoyable. And and you kind of get a better feel for things as you you go over the course of – Every book, every football season to me is a novel. 
and every every press conference, every game, that's chapters in that book, and you kind of get more context of the story. Next question from I Like Pickles Cat. How is it possible that linebacker is our deepest position with four scholarship players? I call BS on that. That So we're looking through that sunshine pump in there. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean he mentioned he mentioned the guys. He didn't pull out anyone saying, Well, that Zach Carlson's really stepped up and you know, he said Ryan Hennington, but do we really believe Ryan no. Hennington's going to be on the field? Worrying if he is. That's not deep. You're not deep if Ryan Hennington is on the field at linebacker at any time during the game. Unless it's you're up by 50 and it's the fourth quarter. Sure, put him on the field. Maybe he turned out to be Ted Sims. We don't, I don't know. I, I'm not sure, but I, I mean, again, I, I feel like it's a position group that is competing really hard. And sometimes coaches see incredible depth as being there's not much separation between one and six. When in reality, that means one isn't as good as you need them to be. I mean, they're all competing and pushing. It means they're close. So, no, I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that for a second. But he was trying to send a message somewhere somehow. Next question from KNED. With a definite end to the dead period in sight, will recruiting decisions slow until June 1st as most recruits might decide they can wait that long to take at least visits? Man, I appreciate the question, but I we're in such uncharted territory with this. I don't know how it's going to manifest itself. They've let this linger way too long. This is put a program like Kansas State at such a huge disadvantage. If you're a a program close to a giant recruiting base, Metroplex, or like in Texas where you might have 50 high schools near you that kids can just drop by, you know, can come visit your campus. If you're in a rural area like Kansas State or or like Boise State or you know, any anyone like that, and players getting to your campus isn't easy for them, this has been a huge detriment. They have damaged programs by extending this so long. It's ridiculous. I understand they want to be cautious, but at this point, everyone knows how to function within the pandemic. And if if you're in a position where like mom or dad is in an at-risk group, you don't go or they don't go. I mean, everyone has to maneuver through this. And, and I feel like the NCAA has overthought this, big brothered it too much. I mean, nobody's going to be holding recruiting visits where nobody's wearing masks and they're they're just going to lick each other's faces or whatever. I mean, it's ridiculous. You're going to be wearing a mask. You're going to be distance. You know, you're you're going to knuckle punch instead of our forearm collide. What is that called? Instead of shaking hands. Here. Elbow five. Elbow El- five. Elbow touch. Yeah, I don't know what that is. That's weird. Elbow bump. Elbow bump. That's what we had to do at Canes because of all the chicken that we would handle. So. We'd go elbow bumps. Man, see, that's wow. a kind of valuable input on the podcast that <laughs> we have previously lacked. Could Riley Gates put that out there? No, he didn't work fast food. No. That's he, a nice little hint towards one of the questions on the overtime. He drove a combine. Did he really? Yeah. He was. He got his farmer's whatever. He worked on a golf course. And he was driving like a, I don't know if he was driving a combine, but he was driving a truck. He worked, he worked ag for like one year, and then he realized I'm he's soft. A, I'm a, a journalist. Yeah, he's a city boy. 
Yeah, he's the city boy from the big town of Beloit. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Gills is out here. Gills actually killed the chickens with his hands. That was part of his job. Yep. And snapped their necks. Oh, it uh. got dark real fast. Back to the question, though. I mean, it's Please. it's almost April. We're two months away from June 1st. It, you know, I, I don't really remember, you know, in years previous, how many decisions were actually being made in April to May. But if you went the entire football season without going to a campus, I feel like, hey, if I can go, you know, and get a, you know, a flight and a whole weekend trip paid for by the university out of it, I might as well go take some visits over the summer. So I think that, yeah you're not going to see a lot of decisions be made between now and June 1st without, you know, these visits. But, but yeah, I I think that, you know, if you're able to wait that long during football season without setting foot on a campus officially, you can at least wait, you know, just a few more weeks, but it'll be interesting to see how many decisions get made over the summer quickly, because I think after a few visits, I think this could be a very big summer for, for recruiting decisions and commitments. Yeah, I'm with you, Zach. I mean, if I was on the fence for a few schools, why not wait? What is it? Two or three months? Yeah. yeah. Eight weeks, nine weeks. Might as well. Whatever it is. Just do it. Last question of the podcast from Get Out More Cat. How good at football do you need to be to simply be a football school? <clears throat> That's a great question. That's deep. Yeah. Man. Well, what do you consider a football school? What schools right now are football schools? Alabama, mm-hmm. Clemson, Nebraska. If we're going back, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I no, I think it it's more about finances than wins and losses. I mean, you become a football school when you're a money maker. Like, I mean, you're selling a lot of tickets. Donors are stepping up. So. To me, Nebraska would still fit that, even though they're not winning as much. Their fans have been loyal and stuck right. with it. You, know, it. you become a football school because you're such a financial engine. You don't need to have basketball generating money as much. But it relates to success at some point, at least rec- right. somewhat recently. Right. You know, at least 25 years with Nebraska's case. Right. You know, so there had to be some sort of success. You can't look at the Pac-12 and look at Oregon. Or not Oregon, Oregon State, you know Washington, Washington State. You can't look at any of those, you know, three schools and saying you're a this school. You're just a school. You know, USC um, is probably a football school. Mm-hmm. You know, well, the complexity there's, there's of this question. There's a, lot is, of que- there's a lot of schools out there like that. Yeah. What What do you consider a football co- school, and what would they consider a football school? Like Ole Miss, they don't win a lot, but I consider it a football school. I mean, they're SEC. They probably. They were, their culture of their university is built around football more than basketball or ba- you know, baseball is pretty good. But yeah, they're a baseball school. <laughs> that's that's what's amazing about the SEC is you can actually find schools like South Carolina that have considered baseball to be their second sport, which is so different from than we have around here, mostly because you can't really have that due to weather. Although Nebraska and Wichita State have been pretty close to that. I mean, Wichita State in football, but Nebraska baseball for many years, you could almost consider it to be their secondary sport. Yeah, it's a great question because we look at football schools, Ohio State, you know, you're in the you're in the playoff, Clemson. Yeah. But, you know, I think there's more to it than that. And I think you're a football school when you know, culturally and financially, that's your thing. I mean, North Dakota State's a football school. I mean, it's 
It's part of the culture. It's intertwined in everything they do. So, yeah, I, I think uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, K-State was clearly a football school. A lot of buildings on campus, a lot of stuff happened connected to the university that were incredibly positive because of football. I mean, it was funding everything else. <clears throat> you know, basketball was really struggling. I'll say this, it's a hell of a lot easier being a football school than a basketball school. Yeah. I mean, Kansas is constantly walking a tightrope financially. Now, they might have a bigger budget, but they also know if basketball drops off, you can lose basketball pretty quickly. We've seen that around the country. Nebraska is a perfect example of you don't really lose football. It doesn't happen immediately. It's built into the culture. Now, you can say basketball at Kansas is built into the culture, but we've seen dips in their program lead to open seats in Allen Fieldhouse. And if they get hit with a two-year probation and Bill Self leaves and they don't make the right hire, you're going to see open seats in Allen Fieldhouse. And I, one thing you're not going to notice, but it will happen, is the price of a seat license will plummet. Uh, yeah, football school is... A good thing to be, K-State is more of a football school than a basketball school. But at this point, just need to be better at everything. Yeah. But to your argument, you know, looking at the SEC, what school isn't a football school? You know, I mean, even Kentucky, they're decent at football now. Yeah, but they're basketball. They're still a basketball school, don't get me wrong. But unless you are a basketball school, you are a football school, whether you're good at football or not. That's kind of what it comes down to. But it's a medical school. (laughs) <laughs> or a baseball school. Baseball school, that's true. <laughs> Sorry, David Price. But, yeah, I, I, it's it, you're one or the other in my eyes, and you aren't really a football school unless you're good at football right now, in my opinion. In Nebraska, a little bit like you, but I, I really wouldn't consider them at this point, you know, to be a football school. Mm-hmm. Just they aren't competing at the level that they expected to compete at when they moved to the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Tennessee would still consider itself a, a football school. Arkansas would, even though yeah. both of those schools have had good basketball programs this, in the recent years. So, yeah. It, it's I think a, right now a football school is, are you making the playoff pretty much every year? And there's only, what, four of those teams. Right. You know, OU, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. And then you have some other mixed in, you know, Texas A&M football school. Texas is a football school, but Texas a is just a cult. It's not really a football, basketball, baseball. It's just a cult. You're not wrong. Uh, just weird, weird place. But I think at least right now, if you want to call yourself a football school, you need to be in the top 25 year in, year out and top 10 half of that time. See, again, that's, that's how I look at things differently whether you're perceiving it as a fan or as an institution. I mean, Tennessee has not been top 25. Nebraska hasn't been top 25, but I guarantee you they view themselves as an institution, as a football school. Yeah, I agree. Who else? Who would be a small school that would consider them? Boise State. Absolutely. It's a football school. That's where they derive most of their passion, probably their donations, and you know that's their brand is out on the football field, even though the football field's a weird color. Oregon. I mean, look at others. Yeah. Look at other schools like Colorado State. They just built a brand new football stadium on campus. Whether they're good at football or not, football school, you know, because they have so much invested into it. 
but it's a good example. They can't get the money to rebuild an existing stadium in Lawrence, Kansas, but a Mountain West team can build an all-new stadium. Hmm. Maybe that's because you're a basketball school and your donors don't want to give money to the football program. Okay, boys. Good good effort. We're all a little bit uh, congested today. Weirdness in the weather. Maybe sleeping dogs have done it all around us. Look at him. That's just pathetic. What a life he leads. It's too bright in here, so he's got his head buried. Oh, for God's sakes. Thanks for listening to the Powercat Questions podcast. I'm Fitz. That was Zach and Gills. Your Z team is out of here, but we'll be back on Friday with an overtime. Powercat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.